And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, thanks, uh, worship team. Good morning. Good. Good morning, guys. I was here yesterday, and man, it was packed with uh, friends of Deb Rutson, and um, it was what a wonderful service. Thanks for those of you who were serving. We had a huge serving team. Really, the church showed up. Wow. Uh, I think there's 140 people here. This place is packed. Um, maybe more. So thanks for being here. And, uh, I, the, the, the topic is defining the kingdom of God. Um, that's kind of hard. Uh, I picked it. So it's my, anyone, if anyone has to blame for uh, how hard it is, it's my fault. Uh, we were talking as a missions team about what should we do? And one of the gals was like, you know, we're in Matthew series and it's like the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. What if we do something? And it, it just kind of blossomed. Oh, let's do uh, your kingdom. Um, and then we talked about defining the kingdom. Last week, we talked about declaring the kingdom. Gary Rohrmeyer, who's the president of a group of churches that we're a part of, Converge, uh, uh, our region, he came and shared about how do we declare the kingdom? Well, what is the kingdom? That's what I'm going to talk about. And next week, uh, Mike is going to be here, Pastor Mike, and he's going to talk about um, what does it mean to be a kingdom people, um, being in the kingdom, preparing for the kingdom. As we define it, I thought I'd start out something easy. How do we define water? How do you define water? H2O? Did someone say H2O? Wet? Liquid? Okay, how do you define air? Hot? Humid? Dry, difficult, maybe thin, dead. Um, if you're talking about teenagers and their shoes, maybe stinky, I don't know. Um, how about Ameri- how do you define America? A rock band from the 70s that came out with a horse with no name and um, you can do magic. Um, how about America as in the United States of America? Um, 1776, you know, became a, a country and... North America, you've got Canada on the north, Mexico on the south, there's 50 states, you got the flag, you got the eagle, English is our language, DC is the capital, it's the third largest population and third largest uh, land mass for a country. So those are, those are maybe a little easier. What about the kingdom of God? If you get back to that question, how do you define the kingdom of God? Someone asks you, what's the kingdom of God? I've been in a couple of small groups and we ask that, what's, what's the kingdom of God? Hmm. Jesus asked a similar question in Luke chapter 13, verse 18. He said, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? So he asked this question. And it's important for us as we can think about missions month. So we take a month, a a year, and we focus on what is God doing around the world? How can we be a part of it? And we're advancing the kingdom. We want to see God's kingdom grow. And so we take pledges uh, during the month of May. So Justin was shared about the, the pledge cards. Uh, we called it Faith Promise at what time. Uh, and through your joint efforts, we're able to spread the good news of God's, you know, God's kingdom and what he's doing around the world. And so we do kingdom work. There's kingdom work all over that we're a part of. And I want to just list out a few of them. Uh, not all of them. Uh, Michigan Migrant Ministries um, is one of the groups. And so I think next week we have it during our Sunday school hour. You, can, you don't have to come at 11. You can come at 10. You can hear what God's doing around the world, but actually in North Benton Harbor. 
And Sophia Berger started this ministry um, just out of her heart. This little, she's a little gal, and her husband Chris, and uh, they serve the migrant population, kind of the, the invisible people in our county. And it's really cool. And there's ways you can participate, and you can hear what God's doing. Um, mission giving, part when you give that, we've helped them with their efforts up there. Uh, we also help with uh, Bible camp. You know, it's, if you've ever, if you grew up in the church, Bible camp was a big part of my life, uh, and I know a number of you as well. Um, maybe it hasn't been. Well, Center Lake Bible Camp is a camp up in Tustin, Michigan that we support, and they do great work, and kids come to know Christ every year. It's, it's super cool. Hundreds of kids go there, so we help Center Lake Bible Camp. We're part of a group of churches. Uh, we're an independent church, but belong to a, a conference of churches called Converge. And so they send missionaries all over the world, and we give a little bit of resources that way. We also plant churches. There's a way that people come to church when it's new in, in a community. They have a new, a new, the new church in town. People will check it out. And we see people coming to Christ through planting churches. Through mission giving, we are giving to a group called IREF. I went there this last year. It's in India. It's a rural evangelical fellowship. And they're seeing people um, educated, pulled out of, of starvation and poverty and, and injustices, but also hearing the gospel through their education, um, their residential education uh, that they offer, and then also their, church, their missionaries and their little churches that they have. We help through mission giving Jeff with his work to Word Partners and Jonathan Swift. Uh, Jeff works with Word Partners and um, is in Central Asia part of the, the year. He's training pastors who are in unreached people, who work with unreached people groups, and it is super exciting. God is doing some cool things. And Jonathan Swift's in, Middle East, in the Middle East, and he actually will be up at Sawyer next week at 6 p.m. I don't know if that's in the bulletin, but you might want to mark that up, and you can hear 6 p.m. what God's doing through mission giving, through Jonathan Swift um, next week. Uh, Gil Zinke's a, a guy who's we've partnered with him for decades. And right now, he's training pastors in Ethiopia. Um, Mike Bowden, he has a work day this Saturday uh, for his retreat center, Stillwater. Some of you have been there. It's over in Buchanan. But the Lord has laid it on his heart. He's there helping pastors, helping missionaries um, with their spiritual care. Sometimes the, the most neglected people are those people who are serving others, and they need sometimes that, those, to have a break. And so he's helping care for uh, the souls of those who are caring for the souls of others. That's Mike Bowden. Through Mission Giving, we help a guy named John Main, and who, uh, who's living now in Rockford, but he is helping plant churches in Asia. And Mitchell Wimbush, who shared, uh, Mitchell and Tara are here. They were in Sunday school hour um, at 10 o'clock, and he's got a, a display out back there, but he's with Wycliffe, and the Lord is, is using him um, to impact the world. Uh, for the kingdom. Um, Sarah Hernandez and her husband, Idion, are in South Texas. We help them out. And then Justin, uh, her, her brother, Justin Emily Vanderark, are moving to the area here this next week or so. And they help um, with international church planning to unreached people groups. They, we do that and so much more. And, and it's so exciting to be a part of something and what God's doing um, this church has committed over $135,000 towards missions this last year, and it, we've never seen that before. So thank you for that. Thank you for your... Yeah, that's awesome. That's huge. 
And I know some of you give beyond that, like uh, have another missionary, like a friend you give to uh, that you've partnered with and you help them out. And I'm, I'm, I'm thank you for that. And some of us say, you know, I may have fixed incomes or you're a student. You're like, I don't have any money. I'm a kid, you know, like, but you're praying and that makes a difference. Prayer is not insignificant or you're serving. There are service opportunities. Thank you. Uh, last few weeks, we were talking about uh, a couple different passages where Jesus says, pray to his disciples, his followers, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers because the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. So your prayers matter, and we are hoping and praying and striving to share the good news about Jesus to as many people as possible. We want to see his kingdom advance by his grace through his spirit. And I think God's doing that. I mean, to be honest, I, I think people are seeing that. Uh, someone came up to me the last month about saying, hey, I want to be baptized. Another, another couple uh, said, you know, we want, to, we want to be fully invested in this church. We want to be members of the church. Um, and uh, I, I see God moving. I hear these missionaries' uh, stories that are coming out and um, the testimonies that we have. And hearing from our body, God is on the move. So as we get back to defining the kingdom, I want to bring, I have four points this morning. So if you're taking notes, um, I do, if you you have a connect card, we have a little offering box over there. We're not really passing a plate anymore right now, but uh, you can put a connect card saying, hey, uh, you want to be in the weekly email. Um, I do have notes, um, my manuscript, you can get that. And I stick pretty close to it, but not not always. Uh, So here are four points if you're taking notes. The king of the kingdom the character of the kingdom, the the community of the kingdom, and the commission of the kingdom. The king, the character, the community, and the commission. So let's talk about the king. Kingdoms have kings, right? So who is the king? Jesus. Jesus is the king. We see divine kingship from Genesis to Revelation. And in Genesis, it talks about God as greater then the king of Moab and this nation called Heshbon and king of Sidon and the king of Egypt. You may have seen the coronation last week of who? Or last two weeks ago, who? Charles, King Charles now, a couple weeks ago. And I, I looked this up. He is the head of state of 14 nations. He's part of the, what they call the Commonwealth. Another name for him is Sovereign. What does that mean? What does it mean to Sovereign. Well, in the Oxford Dictionary, it means you have supreme or ultimate authority. And so, so he has some authority over some nations. But God has more authority than King Charles. He has authority over all nations. Who is our God? I thought of this, like, who is our God? Well, he creates, he creates out of nothing. All our inventors and all the work that we do is out of something. He's able to invent out of nothing. Something. He can predict the future. Why? Because he knows all things. Beginning and end, future, past, hearts, minds. Our best judges, our best judges and referees, they they do good work, but they cannot read the heart and mind of another person. Our weathermen are only guessing at best. God is not only able to know all things, Um, And able to create, but he also is able to control. And so we read in the Bible, he controls water. 
He parts the Red Sea. He calms a storm. He is able to control or, uh, bacteria and viruses so that they disappear and Jesus speaks and they're healed or touches and they're healed. He can make quail and mysterious bread appear in a pinch. People are starving in the wilderness, migrating from Egypt to Israel, and boom, he provides food, meat, and bread. He controls angels and sends them to do his bidding, and men and women and children as well. In comparison, what do we control? You know, I'm a parent. Do you control your kids? Nope. Try to. How's that working? You know, can we control ourselves? I have a hard time controlling myself, right? We don't control much. He controls it all. He is sovereign and, and has ultimate authority. He is the king and qualitatively different than any other king that has ever been. As you move through the Bible, God, God's people don't always get this, right? They're kind of like our kids. They, they don't trust him. And they, God speaks through these people called the prophets. And the people go to the prophet because they want things different. They look over at the neighbor, the neighboring nations, and they all have kings in the Old Testament. And they're like, we want what they have. Maybe you've done that where you look out, you're like, I want what they have. That looks great. And Samuel's like, they have it so good. What? Why do they need a king? He's kind of complaining, kind of frustrated, doesn't know what to do. So he's praying to God, God, what do I do? He's leading these people who aren't really receptive. And uh, God speaks to him. First Samuel verse eight, or chapter eight, verse seven. The Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in that all they say to you. Why? For they've not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king over them. You see, God was their king, but that wasn't good enough. So God gave them what they asked, Saul. And how did that work out for him? Not so good. Saul wasn't that good. Saul didn't obey God. He sacrificed, but he didn't obey. So what does God do? He puts another king in place, King David. And King David, he wasn't perfect either, but he had some insight. And so the Psalms, many of them are written by David, King David. And Psalm 22, he shares some insight about who God is. Even though he's king, listen to this in chapter 22, verse 8. Kingship, here's King David, who's authorized this to be written down. Kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. That's pretty humble for a king. Even David, as king, knew there was one over him. Not all the Psalms are written by him. They're poems and songs for worship. And in Psalm 47, it's written by the sons of Korah. And it's a song. It talks about God as king. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? Why should we sing and clap and shout for the Lord? The most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Why? For God is the king of all the earth. 
Sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. God is king over all. He is worthy of what? What we did earlier with Dan. He's worthy of worship and singing and and praising and, and awe. Over the years in Israel, people got this and forgot this. They got this and forgot this. And he raises up these, these, these voice pieces, these people, these guys and gals sometimes to speak on his behalf. There's a prophet who shared what is true, right, and good. He reminds them of where, where their place is in the order of things and where his place is. And Malachi is one of those. And sometimes their words are pretty sharp. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Why does he say that? Why does he say this? At the time, they were, so we do offerings differently, right? We, um, when you give, it goes to the general budget, keeps lights on, place air conditioned or heat in the winter and uh, salaries and ministry. Well, they had like sheep, goats, they had like cows and grain, and they would sacrifice those things in worship. And what was happening was they were saying they were doing this, but they'd have like this lame sheep over here and they'd like, they're going to get rid of it anyway, or it's not doing so well. It's sick. They give that to the Lord. So it looks good, kind of, but it's not. Their heart wasn't in it. They weren't trusting the Lord who'd given them all this, that he would provide for them. Instead, they were trusting in their wealth and holding it. And they weren't following him all the way. They weren't following him. And so God has a pro- had a problem with this and speaks to them through Malachi and says, cursed the cheat. He's cheating him. And he goes on, why is this a problem? For why? For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. They're trusting not in him, but they're trusting in their, their own stuff that they can see right there. They weren't respecting God. He deserves honor and trust. And if we honor and trust him, we'll honor, we'll honor him. If we, honor, if we trust him, we will honor him with all that we are and obey him. But I can read that and kind of feel a little bit guilty because do I? Don't, don't we cut corners sometimes and not follow 100% of the way? Is there anyone who does it perfectly? I don't know of anyone. And so in the midst of that reality, I could feel guilty or ashamed. I don't know about you, And that's where God's mercy and grace come in. That's why we need God to send, and what he's done is he sent another king to come and offer remedy for our guilt and shame. And and through the prophets, he started speaking about this. Even Nathan. Nathan was a prophet. And so he he speaks about a, a future king in the line of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then there's a prophet Daniel. We did a series back on Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. This is amazing. He talks about this 
this king as well in a different way. It says, I saw, verse 7, uh, 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, so you picture the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. We've heard that in Matthew, haven't we? And he came to the Ancient of Days. Well, who are the ancient, who's the Ancient of Days? God the Father. He's lived for, he lives forever. And was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, the Son of Man, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This future king would be a son of man. You combine that with the prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah says that one will come, a suffering servant, to take away the sin of the people. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned his, his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah says. Then in the last book of the Bible, all these prophetic words that maybe didn't make sense completely to the people who got them that first time start making sense. In chapter 17 of Revelations, you have the enemies of God, and this is this apocalyptic vision of the future. The enemies of God are facing off with God in a battle of Armageddon, this great battle. The enemies of God will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. If we go a few chapters later, we see again the apocalyptic vision of the Lamb come again, but he's a different image. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. You picture a white horse. And one sitting on it, there's someone sitting on it, called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. So whoever is on this horse is making war. He's making war with the enemies of God. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. It's like this, this crown with jewels, and his name is written. Uh, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. We don't know who this guy is, but we do. We don't know that name. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he's called, so this is the name we do know, is the Word of God. Who's the Word of God? And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure were following him on white horses. So you have this guy on white horses, on a white horse called Faithful and True, the word of God with an, a name no one knows, robe dipped in blood, and the whole army behind him. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So who is the Lamb of God? Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is the Word of God? Someone said it. It's Jesus. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the one and only. Who is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Here we have a picture of Jesus. And so it gets a little confusing, you know, as we talk about Jesus and God the Father, because I think through Genesis to Revelation, both are seen as king. Jesus is the representative king from the line of David, who will save his people from their sin. And God the Father is king, who sits on the throne, and Jesus at the right hand of, of the Father. 
We see them come together in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, so I'm just throwing out verses. I will have my manuscript, and you guys can look at it, but this is not even on the projected, but it says, one day every knee will bow. You probably heard this verse. Every tongue confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Both the Almighty and Jesus are king. They are two separate persons in one deity. How it works, if you, if you bump up against, I don't get it, that's mystery. And honestly, we aren't God. We know the Bible is true. So we trust the Bible. And we can kind of try to piece this together as best we can. But we will fall short and have to use our imaginations and explain it as, as the scriptures teach us. So the Bible says that God is the king. The king of the kingdom. When we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about this king. The king is Jesus. The king is God. One God, two persons. So let's talk a little bit about the character of this kingdom that he's a part of. When we think about a kingdom, we think about, like, there's boundaries, right? So there is, when you're in Laporte, um, there's a boundary to Laporte. And there can be issues about the boundaries of, like, where does it start and end with townships and stuff like that. Then there's New Buffalo, New Buffalo Township. You have counties, right? There's boundaries in, in geographic. You're mapping things, you know, uh, Mitchell. So you see boundaries. What's the boundaries of the kingdom of God? Paul writes in Romans this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense that it's not this physical thing that we might expect. It's a, there's a spiritual reality to it. But there is a physical aspect as well, as we see in Scripture. Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer. You might remember this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a sense that his kingdom comes in a form of the heart and will and way of God at rest here. There's also a sense of spiritual, uh, spiritual aspect. There's also a physical aspect as well. Not only that, we see it's everlasting. It's always existed. It will never fall, but it's not static. What I mean by that is it's on the move. We live in an opportunity right now where you turn on the news and you're going to see disappointment. You're going to see frustration. You're going to see anger. You're going to see fear. You're going to see things that are not always going to exist. For a limited time, God has allowed us to rebel. But that will all come to a conclusion at the end of time. The season is fast approaching when this end will happen. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus' prayer will be answered. When will that be? John the Baptist, we read in Matthew, said, Repent, Matthew chapter 3, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming. Jesus said the same thing. That was like 2,000 years ago. Doesn't it seem like it's, uh, it's been a while? Um, when is the end going to happen? Do we have any more indication? Well, in Matthew chapter 24, and it's going to be next year before we get here in our sermon series, he will say this. Uh, I think we're just 14 is all we need to say. But, uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world 
as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. When the whole world hears the good news, the gospel, gospel means good news, then the end will come. So if we were to wrap this up, this part of our, the sermon up into what's the character? If we're trying to figure out what's the character of the kingdom, there's a spiritual aspect of God's will at work. But there's also a physical aspect where God's will is present in his kingdom, his, his heavenly realm, and one day it will, it will be united, heaven and earth. It's, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's moral, it's, et- it's eternal, it's lasted forever, and it will always, but it's not, it'll always be, but it's on the move. We're moving closer and closer and closer to his kingdom. So maybe you've thought of this. We are one day closer to his return. The king is coming back and he's calling his people to himself. And it is a good day. It's not good for the evil. It's not good for sin, but it's good for us who need a savior. Now, Jesus did say something that's kind of interesting. He says this in Luke 17. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Back then, they're looking for Rome to be overthrown. Now, Israel to be, you know, the prominent nation again, like it once was under King David. And Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is here. He embodied the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He embodies the will of the Lord. The Father, he is God among us. And so there's a sense that the kingdom is here and now. Now, Jesus left. You remember, he ascended into heaven. What happened after that? A few days later, who came? The Holy Spirit came. And so the Bible says, wherever two or more are gathered together, the Holy Spirit is in, God is in their midst. And so there's a sense that God is right here. Not only is he omnipresent, he can be anywhere where he wants to be at a time, but there's a sense, a tangible sense, that when we have bodies of of brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you turn from sin, turn to him, you're a follower of him, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So right now, God is here. There's a, a scholar from Fuller Seminary. He passed away. He's with the Lord. He said, we live in the already but not yet. There's an already but not yet aspect to this kingdom reality. And the distance between God and us, maybe he's invisible now, but it's slowly unraveling day by day. The kingdom of God is on the move. Marching, we're marching closer and closer to a good day when evil will be just gone forever. Jesus asks this question, but he answers it in Luke chapter 13. Let me get back to that to describe the character of the kingdom a little bit more. What is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? And he uses this parable. Parables are like analogies. It's like a grain, a mustard seed that a man took these tiny little seeds and sowed it in his garden and it grew and became a big tree, became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in, their brand, in its branches. Then in verse 20, he asks a similar question and response. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven. Again, this little tiny stuff that you put in bread. 
that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. And what happens? Until it was all leavened. These little stories take a small thing and it becomes a big thing, a good thing, a full thing, a place of refuge for birds. And we see <clears throat> parallels. I think Jesus is poking at, he calling just a few disciples. And from those disciples came more disciples. They took his commission and they spread the good news, the kingdom, and more and more came to follow him. And so that we're here today. If they didn't obey him, we wouldn't be here. It parallels Jesus' ministry in this tiny little nation is now global. It is all over the world. It's not a white thing. It's not an American Western thing. It is a global movement of God on this planet. It's this, it's this little life of obscurity of the God man living in a, a small village, living on the run, working a normal job for 30 years. And then his life after three years of ministry cut short. Yet his short life ministry and calling had historical and eternal ramifications. See the good news of the kingdom. It's not something flashy or flamboyant. It's not like dynamite. We blow it up or pomp and circumstance, a bunch of show and nothing for it. Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy after prophecy, after prophecy, after prophecy. And he's restoring a union that had been disrupted at the garden. The union between God and man is being obliterated and justice is on the move in our hearts. I think if we're, if we're tuned in to kind of the bad things that happen, we get afraid. I heard that this morning when I was talking to somebody, there's fear, there's frustration, there's anger. We want something to change. We need, we need hope. We need help. We need something to move. I think inside of us is a longing, a longing for a return to a garden of Eden like experience. And God promises that and so much more through Jesus. He promises peace and mercy and grace and love. And it's fast approaching where heaven will come to rest on earth. And so we see this kingdom. What's the character of the kingdom? It's, there's, a, there's a, a, a physical aspect to it. There's a spiritual aspect to it. There's an eternal aspect to it. There's a present aspect to it. We see it, the kingdom of God in Jesus. So we talked about like this king. We talked about the character of the kingdom. Let's talk about a community. What is community of the kingdom? Matthew chapter 7, he says this. It's, it's kind of un uncomfortable. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's literal. I don't think everyone's going to be there. There's an exclusivity to that. Is that scary or uncomfortable? How do we enter? How do we avoid that being said of us? Me. Well, Jesus gives us an answer. There was this guy, it was, it was late at night, and a spiritual leader didn't want to be probably didn't want to be identified with Jesus uh, by his friends, came to him. His name's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And he said, you're, we hear you're a good teacher. How do, we, you know, how do we enter this kingdom in a sense? And Jesus says in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to see the kingdom of God? 
he goes on, and I think he gives us a, a clue, and John's all about this in this book, um, in the Bible. He says, Who believes, whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So there's a sense that seeing is believing, is believing in the Son of Man. We have access to this kingdom through faith in God sending his one and only son on our behalf. Therefore, entrance, the entrance exam, right now is finals week for some kids, you know, or we're approaching finals week for some. It's, it's not based on your skin color, which is good news. It's not based on, you know, what sex you are at birth, what your education level is, what your income level is, what, how, how good you've been. Like Santa Claus. No. It's not based on good looks. It's solely and exclusively founded on our faith in Jesus. And so in a sense, it's actually quite inclusive. You just need to believe. One just needs to believe. What are the benefits of this kingdom? Why, why would I want to believe? Why do I even care? What's the good news? There's a lot of different passages but I, I found one where Paul writes to this church in Colossae, and, he, and he, he captures a number of them. I want you to look at this passage and sort of think through what are the benefits of being a part of this kingdom? What would you say? He says this, The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? We belong to a community that's more fantastic than being part of a clique or a club. There's a lot of clubs out there, a lot of groups out there. This is even better. Well, what, what, what are the benefits? Well, you could be part of the family of God. That's pretty amazing. You are delivered from the power of the devil. Who wants to be under the power of the devil? You are redeemed by Jesus' body and blood, and you're forgiven of all your sin. Period. Isn't that good news? Amen, right? So, brothers and sisters, if your troubles or trials or difficulties or dis, dis, you know, disagreements and things bother you, do you, you get that where life is just, I'm just so frustrated. Look, about, look at this kingdom. Remember the definition of this kingdom. It is, it is part of God's kingly reign that he offers his community. You can be a part. All you have to do is believe. These benefits, yeah, tough, life is tough right now, yeah? But down the road are all yours. And they're, they're not worth comparing. Paul said these light and momentary afflictions, and he knew afflictions. And the people he's writing to, no problems. And you, no problems, right? Light and momentary are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed with us. We get to enjoy God. God invites us not to religion. It's not some magic, some hocus pocus, some superstition, or just a show. It's an invitation to him. We, you know, in, in our hearts, and I mean, just being honest, don't we long for satisfaction and joy? You know, happiness, peace, comfort, rest. 
you know, fulfillment. I want something to, I want to be fulfilled. God gives us so much more. This life is tough. But through Jesus' work, we can experience his love and goodness and power. And he's got a call for us. Let's talk about the commission. Let's talk about the, the invitation. This invitation, last week we heard um, Gary share with us five things. And maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. Uh, the king of the kingdom, or sorry, the five things, sorry. That God, who is the king of the kingdom, sin, Jesus, faith, and discipleship. These five things, these five things are what we declare. And it's a kind of memorable way of saying it. God, God created this whole world. And he loves you. Jeff did a nice job sharing the gospel yesterday with uh, Deb at Deb's uh, 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 memorial service. He wants to have a relationship with you. But in Genesis 3, what happened? We fell. We sinned. Our ancestors sinned. And if we're honest, we did too. Probably today, right? Probably in the last week, sure, right? We did something. We said something. We thought something. Dang, we, we messed up. But... The good news, Jesus, Jesus came. God sent his one and only son. He sent his one, he loves us so much. He sent his son so that he could forgive us our sins through his body and blood given for us. And through faith, faith that's so strong, we turn from sin, we turn to him. We can have eternal life. We can be reconciled with God again and live a life of, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. God is inviting you into relationship with him. And many of you are, are on that path. Some of you aren't. Why does God give us this information? It's to transform, transform us and to share it. Matthew talks about uh, you followers are salt and light. We are not to Hide her light under a bushel. What's the song say? No, don't do that. We're to let it shine. And so our community, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends and family, they need to know. And they aren't going to know unless someone tells them. And sometimes they, they're not ready to be told and they need, you need to show them. That's so when you love them. We need to pray for people. Love people and talk to people. Let me say this as we conclude. Um, I was in high school and there's a verse that kept running. I, I grew up in a wealthy community and I had great education. And there's a verse that says, to whom much is given, much is required. And it kind of haunted me, but motivated me. And maybe you've heard that verse before. It's, it's from the Bible. Jesus says it. And I'm thinking, I got this light. How do I share it? How do you share it? What does that look like? Um, I have a, a son who's graduating, my first. I have six kids, right? And so my, uh, my son Isaiah's graduating, and we're going to throw a little party. And you're all invited. Uh, it's be after church up at Sawyer, but after church here. I'd love to have you. But there's other people who have parties too. Um, and I try to do this at, at Converge, or Sawyer. 
uh, earlier and I forgot, I screwed up all the names and so I'm not gonna do that in here, but there are other parties, believe me. Weddings and other celebrations and what do we do? We wanna share it. We make an announcement, we put energy toward it, we're communicating it and it's really pretty, it's hard, you know, cause there's a lot of details, but it's easy and fun. Jesus is so much greater. So we got to share it. So how do we share it? What does it look like for you to share the good news? This commission. He's commissioning, calling you to share the good news. Someone brought this up. There's another way of thinking about it too, this commission. Let's say you, uh, you get a phone call. Hello. Do you want to be a part of my, my, my cabinet? You get a call like that, some British accent. It's King Charles. He wants to be part of his cabinet. Like, is this a joke? You know, like, you wouldn't believe that. And you wouldn't want to be part of his family, probably, right? I mean, that would, that'd be like, that's messed up. Uh, but to be part of that, I love the accent. I mean, the, all the perks. He's only a sovereign over 14 nations. We have a king who's sovereign over all of the nations. And he's inviting you not to be on a cabinet, to be part of his family. He's adopting people. You're up for adoption. And it's good. He wants to adopt you. You just need to believe. And some, and some many, have believed. And so the commission is to share that, this wonderful news with others. We don't have to be orphaned and go our own way. We can trust in the living, loving Lord. Worship him and share him. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for not leaving us alone. Uh, some of us know loneliness to the core. Some of us have regrets and difficulties, guilt and shame. So thank you for sending your son Jesus to love us to death. Um, you are, are worthy of worship and praise and a little bit of song is nothing. We, could, we, we wish we could give you the world um, and our lives. And so, Lord, help us as we go about our day to follow you as you call us to share in word and prayer and deed. Lead us and guide us and direct us and I pray that you would transform us more and more so that when people see us, they see your son, Jesus. Um, get glory in, this, in our little bodies we have here and the little time we have left until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.